Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. yesterday to to share because the week turned out to be busier so I'm thankful for Zane to jump in last minute and do it um, for those of you who were at the mission trip yesterday mission trip meeting he gave a devotional for our mission trip meeting he'll be he'll be sharing some of those some of those same thoughts which I just thought were super powerful um, but man hold on one second voice is just gone You'll have to listen to me like with this gravelly <coughs> sounding voice. But how many of you were here the first week that we announced that the church was uh, looking at the possibility of, of buying new building? I mean, or, or at least aware. We went and prayed this week. I won't, I won't take uh, too long on this, but I, I do want to give you an update. It's an unusual thing for us because uh, we're a church that we don't get, you know, we don't take up an offering. We don't really talk a lot about, you know, finances because we just try not to prioritize that and kind of like it that way. Um, um, so giving a building update a couple weeks in a row is, is unusual because it involves finances. But um, a couple things that happened this week that I want to just give you an update on. Um, first of all, uh, a number of us went out and prayed Thursday night. Wave your hand if you're up there. Um, praying, just asking the Lord for direction. Um, in this process, we've been, um, you know, just really believing that God would speak to us and that He would lead us um, because we don't want to, we don't want to make moves, especially really significant moves, unless we feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us, and unless we feel a, a unity of the Holy Spirit leading us. And so, we prayed. Um, on that same Thursday, we asked our um, the seller to extend the option period, which would have ended tomorrow. We, we weren't ready, still gathering, 
sort of architectural, the architect was putting together a feasibility report for us for us to understand what are zoning limitations, you know, what are seating and parking limitations, what things could be achieved uh, in the space. And so we were still waiting on some information, but um, by the end of last week, we had compiled most of the budget and sort of zoning related things to the city. And so um, those, we, we asked for an increase for an extension on the option period. But I want to tell you two, two things that happened last week that were very significant. Um, I, I, I explained this, and I won't re-explain this um, again um, in full this week, but many of you know that, you know, uh, that we have Sutton International that is a, a nonprofit that my family started, which came into agreement to um, purchase the building and to let the, uh, the family, like let the church rent from the space. I ended up talking with my parents who, the, the nonprofit exists for the sole function of just distributing funds and helping Christian ministries. So that's, that's all it does. Um, and uh, my mom and dad had prayed about it and they came back to us Monday and said, we really believe that the church is supposed to own the building and so what they, have, what they have offered to the church is that they want, to, um, they want to offer financing for the church to be able to buy the building, and they're going to contribute financially um, from, a, from a perspective of just giving so that we will be able to ultimately own the building ourselves. And the, and the extent of the generosity is that they, they decided they wanted to front the entirety of the cash for both the building and the renovation on the front end of the purchase and allow us the entirety of the time of the, de of the renovation and development of the project to pay nothing on the mortgage. And then, and, and then in addition to that, my parents said, we feel like we're supposed to give $100,000 to the church as like a matching contribution to donations that come in for the, for the building. And this is the crazy part that I, I can't really, you know, um, there were, uh, through three different people this week, kind of came aware that there were three specific donations coming to the church, and we don't get these kinds of donations often. There were three specific donations coming to the church. Um, none of these people knew about this matching effort that um, that total hundred thousand wow. dollars <laughs> and so uh, point of all that is that we don't have a building yet <laughs> and James has a one of the things that that you do you know when you first when you start leading is that when you believe that God speaks, is that sometimes you lead, and the way you listen and hear and lead people forward, you run past people. And the goal, I think, of the pastor is not the goal of just hearing God and saying, all right, we're going to go. The goal is helping a community hear God. And there's a difference between me hearing God or a few of us hearing God and us hearing God. Yeah. And, and so... We asked to extend the option period for the reason that we wanted to, to, to 
continued diligence, but also for the reason that we want to continue to pray and ask the Lord for direction and wisdom. And at this point, we're, you know, there's still negotiation left to be done. And, um, you know, it's probable that if we feel like the Lord's leading us to, that we can go forward. Um, but, but it's something that we, um, you know, are weighing and seeing God highlight some um, confirmations that he's in this. Um, but James 4, 15 says something that really ha um, has been very important to me in recent years, which is James says, you say you're going to go do this thing or that thing, but what you ought to say is we will do it if the Lord wills it. And I, I at, at this stage of life, I feel a lot more comfortable saying statements like that, that, um, that we had a meeting with the board yesterday, um, which includes Zane, myself, my dad, John Wallace, who preaches here, and Don Archibald, um, as some of you know. And we, have, we had a unanimous agreement to pursue forward the process of, of, of purchasing the building with the awareness that at some point we may, you know, we still have the ability to veto that process, or I have the ability to veto that process if, if we see, if we gain some information that we have not yet found. And, and so I'm saying all that to say that our, our community is in a particularly unique time. We've been in this space for a long time and it's been an incredible home for us. And we may be, we may be making a move, um, but, it's, but it's more possible than it was last week. And, but I do believe that what God is doing in the midst of this is that he wants to release faith for what he's doing. And, and so I, I, we started last week, I felt like the Lord um, had called us personally to go on, I'm calling it not the Daniel fast, but the Daniel diet, because I read Daniel 1 and I just don't see the thing as a fast. But I felt like the Lord said, I want you to eat this way for a couple weeks and seek me and pray and let me form in you a reminder of what holiness is. And this week is going to be a particular week that we really need the, the congregation to come together in prayer for a number of reasons. First of all, um, we are still processing this decision and believing that God is leading us um, and we want to be good stewards. We, we, we are going to explain in more depth what stewardship looks like from a budget perspective from a church and why we think this is, why we think that there, there is um, not just faith, but stewardship and thought in making this decision. Um, and so we'll give, we'll give more information. We're currently compiling all the information to be able to give you the most live and up-to-date numbers and data. Um, but the second thing is that uh, we've got 20 people who are heading on a mission trip to, to Reynosa, Mexico next week, and we're believing that God's going to do supernatural things in that time. And I, before I was a pastor, my, uh, I led uh, mission trips for our a couple mission trips for the Bible college that I miserably failed and dropped out of. And, uh, and for my mentor who, you know, many, many years ago, for my mentor who's since passed away. Um, and so you kind of get a sense of like, 
like if you lead a number of teams, you get a sense of like, okay, this, and we've done some number of team trips here, you get a sense of like how, you know, what a team and what a trip is going to be like. And I just have this sense on this trip that this isn't just, this isn't just a momentary trip, but this is actually something very fundamental and critical for our body. And so I just feel like there are many reasons right now um, for us to be gathered together in prayer. And so that being said, um, I'm really calling on people to, to join us this week, particularly in the Zoom prayer time that we have and in the Wednesday prayer time. Um, I know there's multiple of you that have expressed an interest in an evening prayer time. We're exploring that. We believe that that is something that God has in the future. But right now, this is what we have available. And we, we really, really do need the body um, to press in with us in prayer. And I want to invite you, I'm, I'm asking you to, to press, it, press in with us in prayer. Um, because one of the things I've, I've learned in following the Holy Spirit is some of the most specific um, times of direction that God has ever given me where he's led me into something, whatever he leads me into turns, in something, turns into something completely different than I expected. And so with all of these things, like I, I have this... Uh, let me tell you something that my let me tell you something that my dad taught me. It's kind of unrelated, but related. When I very first started in business, he, I was I was going to be a salesperson, and sales was really great in 2007, and in 2008 it was really bad. And uh, <laughs> after the you know global financial crisis, but he said, uh, you know, don't ever get emotionally attached to a deal, and um, that stuck in me. And one of the things. Yeah. That, one of the things that we do in our walk with God is as he is leading us by his spirit and as he is showing us things, we tend to conceptualize what we think God is saying and we attach ourselves to our thoughts and not his word. And if we will let the Lord lead us by his spirit and continually disrupt our lives and keep lead us further into him and make us more dependent upon him, we'll end up where he wants us, which will be the most flourishing place. And so with all that, I'm mindful of that, I'm asking you to join us in prayer. Um, I do think it's a very critical time for the church on a number of fronts. And so I'm, a, I'm asking you to join us in prayer. Uh, I, I'll say this one thing before, before I hand it over to Zane. I, uh, we, uh, at the beginning of the year, we went through fast as a church. And what I, what I, what, as we were going through the fast, I shared this with Zane and Tiffany yesterday, that what I, what I encountered in myself in, in this fast was that, like, you know, for a few days you're grieving food, you know, you're grieving eating and taste, and you're grieving loss of media. But as you get into it, you start encountering the spiritual things that are happening in the fast. And there were these days where I would feel, these moments where I would feel faith as if it were turned up to 100%. I don't know how to explain it other than the belief in God and the trust in God. It's like, it's like that was the only thing that was there. But then there were these other moments where I would feel more doubt 
than I've ever felt in my entire life. It's like inner doubt and unbelief was manifesting out of me, like a poison being drawn from me. And I believe that God, in this season, wants to draw unbelief out like poison. And it, and it is it's, it is easy for us to overlook God's requirement of faith. He is not just looking for us to become good people who are kind and considerate. He is looking for us to become people who depend on Him, who live with a life of faith. Like there's something, there is something to our character being shaped and formed into kindness, but there's another thing for our lives to be anchored to the unseen reality of his, of his heavenly kingdom at work in our lives. And I believe that God is wanting to release faith in us in this season, and he's wanting to, to, to destroy unbelief. And I don't know, I just feel that. I actually, like, I feel that to the point that um, if, if, if you want God to remove unbelief, I just, I just want you to stand with me. I'm not going to belabor this point. If you want God to remove it, we're going to pray. Lord, I just pray that you would, um, you would release us from unbelief and you would release belief right now in Jesus' name. You would release faith right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would remove the wisdom of man as a guider for our lives and that you would release the wisdom of heaven. God, that you would release the belief that comes from faith, God. Lord, and so I just ask you to draw unbelief like, a, like poison from our souls, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can sit down. Um, I want to show you two pictures. These are things that are going on in the body right now. We have the pictures. Oh yeah. So some of you gave to this uh, YWAM Costa Rica. Um, we went to see um, this woman named Aneldi, and Aneldi is not the grandmother. It's the yes. She had a. We were in a saw her home. She had her 99-year-old grandmother living with her, and they were living in a really, really tough place that they weren't able to shower or get to the bathroom. And so the church contributed to them being able to rebuild a, a new home for Aneldi. And one of, the, one of the most amazing things about this is I sat and talked to Aneldi's son, who was working as a mechanic six days a week, and he felt the pressure working overtime to pay to try to renovate his mom's home so that his grandmother could be in a better place. And so this like 25 year old is spending all of his extra time just scrapping by. And so this is a picture here of our friends, Laura and Ronaldo. Oh, Rolando, I said, and, and they're, uh, they put together these homes for like $10,000 for people. And so pretty amazing. Um, you go to the next. Neil, how many of you um, have you ever heard of us talk about Care Portal? Um, so we have, uh, with Care Portal, we uh, are meeting needs in our community that have brought to us by social workers. And we got the opportunity to meet Deidre a couple weeks ago. 
and Deidre has um, two kids of her own, and through a foster circumstance, she ended up bringing in um, her two great nieces, great grand nieces, and one of them, uh, little little baby, and the other one actually, I think almost two, and has cerebral palsy. And Deidre actually had lost her own child to, to cerebral palsy. And so people here from the church, I, we walked over, I remember getting there and thinking like, man, this woman is giving her life to care for these children. And oh, the request was simply just like bringing in a couple of cribs. And so a couple of us went over and brought the first crib and, and then the second one. And there's a picture. What was the girl's name here? Genesis. Genesis. That's right. Genesis with a J. And um, just really cool opportunity to serve our community. And so if you have interest in being involved in Care Portal, we are going to be having very regular needs that will come up. Please let us know. We're very grateful and we think that this is this is the way God's called us to serve our community and to love. And um, anyway, I'm just excited. Like, this is a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Zane, to hand it off to you so late. Um, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> but let's give Zane a hand. It was early April 2011. I walked into my grandpa's hospital room, and I was really ready to pray. I'm not talking about the kind of prayer that you kind of walk in and say something and hope you get lucky. I'm talking about the kind of ready to pray, like where you like know in your gut, like the Spirit of God is with me right now, and I'm going to go put my hand on this person. They're going to be healed. God's going to bring new life. My grandpa was one of my very closest friends, and one of my biggest heroes. I'd watched him live his life, and to me, he was the definition of a, a true follower of Jesus. But now I was watching him, and his body was fighting hard to make it. But I knew that I was carrying the solution inside me that day. Have you ever had a moment like this or a day like this? You just know it's there in you. Well, because I love to be like our beloved poet pastor, <laughs> I thought I would tell you a little more of the story by reading you a quick poem I wrote a few years ago. The second stanza of it is about this very moment, and it's called Fishing Photo. At six years old, my illustration, you and me with my future son, fishing poles, summer clothes, trying to catch the big one. You hung it tall on your office wall. We talked about it all the time. Dreams of a distant storyline. All I wanted was a fishing photo. I walked into your hospital room, a prayer on the tip of my tongue. White light, fade high. Instead of speaking, I spun and walked away how could I say the words I believed could alter your story? You'd waited so many years to step into glory. But all I wanted was a fishing photo. One week later, I sat by your grave, 
my eyes filled with tears of pride. Tales told, friends consoled, your life was glorified. But I walked away and I had to say, though I knew you were out of pain, my life would never be the same. All I wanted was a fishing photo. If you want a fancy title for this message, it might be The Time and the Way. I want to take a closer look at the way that Jesus ministers to people. And I'm specifically going to use examples of the way he healed people today. But I don't want you to get too caught up in healing, although obviously God is highlighting that this morning. But keep in mind as I talk, these principles don't only apply to healing. They apply to lots of parts of living out God's kingdom. And so the Holy Spirit will show you how he wants you to apply them. I'm going to pray real quick. Father, we just ask you, God, we know your presence is already here. Make us really, really aware of it. Let us be aware of the heaviness of your goodness and your love and how it sits on us all the time. If we'll just turn our attention your way. Fill us, Lord. Amen. So if you caught on to what happened as I walked into my grandpa's room, there was something in me that knew that this prayer was going to work, and God's healing power was in me. It was in this unique, tangible way, maybe, maybe different than I've ever felt at a different time. And one of the best ways that I can describe what I felt that afternoon is true compassion. Sometimes I feel this. I've felt this a few times when someone's got healed, this true compassion, like all the way down to my core. I walked in. It, it felt like a movie. The room seemed to shine this bright white, and that was my sensation at least. And I took a couple steps toward him, and I could literally feel power in my hands, and God said, stop. So I stopped and I turned my attention toward God and he said three words I didn't expect. Well, four words. Can't count. <laughs> Don't pray for him. This was really confusing for me and it messed with my theology a little bit because to this day, I always lean toward the idea that God wants to heal. That God's plan in a world that's been messed up from his original design is the restoration of all things. It's victory over sin and death, and it makes all things new. But now, God was telling me not to pray. And I didn't understand. And I asked God why I shouldn't pray, and he told me, because it will work. I still believe that if I had walked across the room and laid my hands on him that day, that he would, he would have recovered. But he died the next week. He'd done amazing work for God's kingdom. We all got to watch it. And God wanted him to be done here. To receive his reward that he'd been waiting for so long. It's not what I wanted. And I was so full of compassion that day. And I do believe that that is one of the main tools that God uses to you in healing or in just ministering to people. 
people who need emotional care, spiritual care, but we're called to love our neighbor, right? And compassion is one of the main tools for that. And we are going to come back at the end, and we're going to talk about the importance of compassion, but let's talk about what I didn't have when I walked in the room. God's timing. I'd like to talk about that for a few minutes. Let's read a story from the beginning of Acts 3. I chose the message translation today just because it makes for really easy listening. One day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way into the temple for prayer meeting. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day, he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, look here. He looked up, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. The man went into the temple with them, walking back and forth, dancing and praising God. Everybody there saw him walking around and praising God. They recognized him as the one who sat begging at the temple's gate beautiful and rubbed their eyes astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. The man threw his arms around Peter and John ecstatic. All the people ran up to where they were at Solomon's porch to see it for themselves. Here we see Peter and John at this gate that they called Beautiful performing an amazing miracle. And it's a good story all on its own, but there are a couple things that stick out if you start digging into the scholarly work behind the story. First, Many scholars say that the word translated beautiful is better translated ripeness. Or, in a more expanded explanation, flourishing at the right hour or season. This was the gate of flourishing at the right hour or season. And I wonder if this miracle wasn't done at this very gate in somewhat of a poetic way. This man was born crippled and his whole life led up to this specific moment where God would be revealed and the story told for thousands of years. And maybe it wouldn't have had the same impact at another time. But now, when the church was just beginning and the good news about Jesus needed to be spread quickly, now the moment was ripe, if you will. Now the moment was in the right moment and the right season. I was talking to Jordan yesterday about this beggar. And Jordan, had, Jordan knew an, a, uh, an idea that I had not heard before. He said, you should go research. I believe that beggars at the time had to have some kind of license. And he was right. It wasn't a paper license. It was actually a beggar's cloak. A specific garment that they had to wear. They had to register for it and be approved for it. And they had to wear it to show the public that they were approved to beg. And what this did is it made people who just didn't really want to work unable to beg in public, but those who had a legitimate disability were allowed to panhandle. And usually they did it at the same place every day for many, many years. 
So now we know that this man that Peter and John encountered wore an obvious garment, that he sat at the same place all the time at this gate of perfect timing, which was the entrance to the temple. They were on their way into the temple, right? This is a normal, this is a normal Jewish thing to do. Everyone knew it, and everyone passed it. And all of this struck me really interesting when a commentary mentioned one point. Jesus probably walked by it many times before and didn't heal it. What? We see Jesus heal so many people in the gospel stories, but why not this man? Why not this man? Not until Jesus is gone is he healed. Well, maybe he has the same story, I thought, as another man who was wearing a beggar's cloak. A blind man that Jesus did, in fact, heal. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, the eternal purpose and timing belong to God, That's good. not to man. That's good. The Spirit knows the perfect timing. And the Spirit knows not only the perfect timing, not only the, the right timing of the Father, if you will, but also the way. It's easy for us to get gung-ho and go do ministry and stop listening. God, when do you want me to do this? How do you want me to do this? How do you want me to say this? Jesus healed in so many different ways. At times, he simply used words. Sometimes he used words and he was in front of the person. Sometimes he used words and they were in another location. Other times, he laid his hand on the person. Still other times, someone would just walk up and touch him. And other times... As you know, it was a little more unusual. You know, Jesus healed quite a few blind people in the Gospels. When I looked it up, I could find stories of, I believe, eight different individuals. And there are plenty of other statements like, Jesus healed all the blind there. <laughs> One of the people that we get to actually see this encounter he heals by casting out a demon that's made the man both blind and mute. It's interesting. A couple other blind men are told something like, your faith has made you well. Heard that statement before? And they can suddenly see. But one man, and you likely already know this story because we started reading it just a few minutes ago. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, 
Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? So here's the question. Why? Why did Jesus heal this blind man with spit and mud and an assignment while he healed the others with just a word? We don't know exactly. And it seems, it seems fairly crazy to me that Jesus gives this blind man this task. Hey, why don't you go find this pool and wash your eyes in it? Not so easy for a blind guy. But God knows the way each miracle should be done and the reason for it. And we don't always get the luxury of having every detail. That's good. The Bible talks about the way that we see spiritually as in a mirror dimly. The way that I understand this is something like if you were looking at yourself in the reflection of a hubcap. They had mirrors of sorts then, but they weren't near as pristine as what you look at in your bathroom mirror. Maybe this man needed a little time for faith to build in his heart. I don't know. Maybe eagerness to be healed grew in him as he searched for this pool where he could wash his eyes. But only the Father knows what is needed for each person to be healed. And I'm not only talking about physically, I'm talking about emotionally, I'm talking about mentally. You know, I've talked to you guys a little bit recently about how God's led me into some moments of needing to do deliverance ministry. And a few of those moments have come from someone just absolutely, you know, demonically manifesting where I'm like, okay, there's no doubt there's a demon yelling at me right now. Should probably do something about it, right? It's not exactly like, well, maybe this could be a demon. Um, And I'm happy to help people with deliverance if I can, but what I've realized along the way is that people need a lot more than deliverance from demons. Even if, I'm, I'm not saying that may not be part of the problem. It may be a big part of the problem. But once the demons are gone, the truth is that people still have emotional problems that don't just go away immediately. And people still have mental instability that doesn't just go away immediately. And they have patterns of thinking and habits that are built in their life that have caused destruction in their life. And those things don't all go away immediately. So when we're doing ministry to people, we need to ask God and we need to be aware of what he's saying to do. The timing, the way that we encounter people, because it's not so simple as we want to make it. And if we don't have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we will not be very effective. Jesus was tapped into the Father's plan by direction of the Holy Spirit. That's how we should be. I don't believe Jesus was doing all these miracles and making all these decisions as uh, primarily as one with um, divine power. I think that he intentionally left his uh, some benefits of his divinity in heaven when he came to earth so that he could show us the right way to live. We saw him be filled with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of his ministry. That's when he started doing miracles. Jesus shows us how we should do it. And the way that God tells you to love people, or even the way that he gives you the revelation about what to do in a situation, 
may change from moment to moment, person to person, but the timing and the wisdom always belong to him. There is one thing about the way we do ministry, God's way of doing ministry, that I know never changes. And I mentioned it at the beginning of this message, and that's compassion. The timing changes, the way it changes, the revelation and the insight, they change. The compassion doesn't change. God's heart and God's depth of love for people, that doesn't change. You don't have to guess about it. You don't have to ask God, God, should I have compassion right now? Spoiler. If you're listening on the podcast and you don't want to know the answer because you haven't read this scripture, Mute it now. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> you, you need compassion. And he wants you to approach each person that you meet with compassion. I'm going to tell you one story, and I'm about done. Our housekeeper's name is Deborah. She's come, uh, she comes every other Monday, and she's a, a friend of Tiffany's parents. She's a really sweet lady, and she, she really hasn't been in the easiest season of life. The most difficult part of what's happened in her life recently, it's not the only difficult thing, but her husband recently passed away. And she is not old enough to have just had her husband pass away. I've talked with her more and more lately about how God is comforting her through this process and how he's leaving her. But there's no getting around it, that this definitely isn't a fun time for her. While she was at our house about three weeks ago, she mentioned multiple times that her shoulder was, was killing her and that it was making it hard to work and that it had been making it hard for her to work for a few weeks. And, and so I already feel a lot of compassion for Deborah. And while she's telling me this, you know, it's just adding to it. And I, I feel the love of God in my heart for her. And when she said that, I thought immediately, you know, oh, maybe I should ask right now to pray for her. But I felt a prompt in my spirit to wait. And so I didn't ask her. A couple hours later, I was walking in the living room uh, with a book in my hand. And uh, this book, some of you have know it or have read some of it. It's called Every Moment Holy. And it's a collection of prayers that are for like every moment of the day. Like it may have a prayer for washing dishes. Uh, or a prayer before a cheat meal, a prayer before a nice meal. There's a different prayer for all these different normal things that you do. It's a really cool book, and I had been at Half Price Books the day before, and I had read this because a couple of my friends have it. And I saw it on the shelf, and so I had picked it up at Half Price the day before. So I was going to leave it on our coffee table in the living room, just thought, hey, this will be a cool thing to have out. I'll see it. I'll remember to you know, pray some unique prayers. Other people will see it. That's kind of a coffee table book. But as I was walking in there, I saw Deborah, and the Holy Spirit said, give it to her. And so I gave her the book, and I explained how this might help her. I said, hey, I know this is a hard time, and in hard times, a lot of times it's difficult to know what to pray. And this might help you sometimes in the moments where you don't have the right words. Maybe you don't know how to dig in you and find the right prayer. Here are some prayers you can so, a short while later, I felt that prompt 
of strong compassion as she walked by with the room that I was sitting in. And so I was like, wait, Deborah, hey, can I pray for your shoulder? And, and she was like, well, right now? I'm like, yeah. I said, uh, I told her that my shoulder had recently been healed of an injury that had been bothering me for, I don't know, 15 months. And I told her that we'd seen a lot of people healed over the years. And I said, look, I can't promise you that you're going to get healed, but I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. And I think that God's probably going to do something in your shoulder just to show you how much he loves you. And um, that's just how I feel. And so she said, okay, well, you can pray for me. So I walked over and I put my hand on her shoulder. And I prayed a very simple, quick prayer. And as often happens, nothing seemed to happen in the moment. But when she came by last week, she told me, by the way, a couple days after you prayed for me, I was cleaning, and I, I noticed that my shoulder hadn't been really hurting when I was cleaning, and it actually hasn't caused me any trouble being able to work since then. And it was so cool. She was so shocked that God would she said something like that. I don't remember her exact words. She was like, I was shocked that God would actually do that for me. And the truth is, I've prayed for so many people that didn't get healed. Like, let's just shoot straight, right? It's easy to come up and tell the story about the person who got healed. It's a little harder to come up and talk about all the people that you prayed for that didn't get healed. A lot more of the people that I've prayed for have not gotten healed than gotten healed. And I hope that I'm, I hope that God's taking me on a path to where that's not true. But right now, that's where I live. And it's likely where you live. <laughs> I can tell you this. I can feel the difference sometimes when a miracle's about to happen. It's that compassion thing that I was talking about earlier. Jordan and I were talking about this in the car this week. As we saw a man walk across the street, he was really hunched over. It looked like a bad way to live. We tried to turn the car around and go pray for him, but by the time we could get back to him, he had disappeared. And Jordan said, I felt that compassion thing. And I was like, yep, that's the thing. Sometimes, a lot of times maybe, if I'm honest, I've prayed for people just because I thought that's what God asked me to do. Or even worse, just because I wanted to see a miracle so that I would feel better about my faith and going and praying for people. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that God's mad at me for that. I don't think that God's mad at me for trying to follow what he said to do. Even if my intentions get kind of mixed up sometimes. I want to have good intentions. I'm sure you want to have good intentions. None of us wake up in the morning and say, I'd like to have terrible intentions today. <laughs> if you do, see me after service. <laughs> That deliverance thing might be a good start. But sometimes there is this deep compassion in my gut and it feels like there's this substance of healing down inside me waiting to flow out. And I can't fully explain it, but I do recognize that when I walk in that compassion, more healings happen, 
I get more accurate words of knowledge, and most importantly, I think more people are affected in an eternal way, not in a fleeting way. So here's what I would love for you to take from all of this. When you look at other people, the people around you, any day, move out of compassion and listen to the Holy Spirit. It's actually a simple idea. Not the easiest to do at all times, but it is simple. Move out of compassion and listen to the Holy Spirit. Follow his timing and follow his way. Maybe a month ago, I felt stupid doing this. Some of you were probably here, but we were praying for some people who maybe had hormone or blood issues. And I came up here and I spun in circles while we were praying. And I said, well, this feels kind of dumb, but <laughs> we're doing it. But a couple people who were getting prayed for at that time came up later and told me, actually, there, was, there have been a couple people who said, hey, that was really hard for me when you spun in circles. <laughs> But that might be good too. Like God might be working religion out of you. I'm excited for you. But, but a couple of the people being prayed for came up and said, hey, we talked about this and what we felt like was that you were being a centrifuge for us. You know the thing that spins your blood to purify it? I thought that was a cool idea. I don't know if it was right but I thought it was cool. All I know is that I was trying to follow God's voice, and I might have been wrong. I might have just been spinning around for no reason. But I do desperately want to follow his timing and his way. And if I mess up in that process, I mean, God's so merciful. So merciful. But I just want to follow his way and his timing, and I want to walk in his spirit in everything we do, we walk in his life, not our life. We walk in his provision, not our provision. We walk in his holiness, not our holiness. As I heard Randall Worley say, even from the beginning of our salvation, we do not invite God to come into our life. God invites us into his life. You get that? We've messed up. We tell people when they pray some. Prayer of salvation, Jesus, will you please come into my life? And once again, God's merciful and God will honor our messed up theology when we have it. It's okay. But it's good when God shifts it and he shows you the truth, which is that you're not inviting him into your life. He's inviting you to die your life and to come into his life and be part of it. So, whether you've been here 5,000 times, or whether it's your first time, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd like to invite you into his life now. Let's come together and get the elements so we can take communion together. Jesus, we are really grateful for your body and your blood and for your joy. We wouldn't have a good reason to have that if the veil had not been torn the one that separated us from the Holy of Holies. But now we get access to you. Just like all those 
dead people got up and walked around when Jesus was crucified. God, that was just foreshadowing. We get to partake of your resurrection life as long as we agree to partake of your death. So we do that now, and we remember your sacrifice. Jesus, thank you for your body that was beaten for us. Thank you for your blood that was shed for our redemption, our restoration, our eternal life, and our way to the Father. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning, or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening. Here in your love, I can't help